Good evening and welcome to the City Council meeting of Monday, May 7th, 2018. Glad to see such a great crowd here tonight. Um, call to order, uh, Chief Spaulding. Here. 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 Thank you. Um, we have two proclamations tonight. The first one is for Emergency Medical Services Week, so I'll read that one first. Whereas Emergency Medical Services is a vital public service, and whereas the members of Emergency Medical Service teams are ready to provide life-saving care to those in need 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and whereas access to quality emergency care dramatically improves the survival and recovery rate of those who experience sudden illness or injury, and whereas the emergency medical services system consists of emergency physicians, emergency nurses, emergency medical technicians, paramedics, firefighters, educators, administrators, and others, and whereas the members of Oregon's emergency medical service teams, whether career or volunteer, engage in thousands of hours of specialized training and continuing education to enhance their life-saving skills. And whereas it is appropriate to recognize the value and the accomplishments of emergency medical services providers by designation Emergency Medical Services Week, I, Arlene Lemire, Mayor of the City of Astoria in the State of Oregon, in recognition of this event, do hereby proclaim the week of May 20th through 26, 2018 as Emergency Medical Services Week with the theme EMS Strong, Stronger <coughs> Together. I encourage the community to observe this week with appropriate programs, ceremonies, and activities. We can have the representative up here now to present the certificates. And I have a plaque here from the city. I'll, I'll read the plaque and everybody hear me. Uh, Medics Ambulance Service recognizes the city of Astoria for its continued support of emergency medical services personnel in the city of Astoria, National EMS Week, May 20th, 20, 20th through the 26th, 2018. Okay, thank you very All much. right, thank you. proclamation is in regard to National Historic Preservation Month. Whereas historic preservation is an effective tool for revitalizing neighborhoods, fostering local pride, and maintaining community character while enhancing livability, and whereas historic preservation is relevant for communities across the nation, both urban and rural, and for people of all ages, walks of life, and ethnic backgrounds. And whereas it is important to celebrate the role of history in our lives and the contributions made by dedicated individuals in helping to preserve the tangible aspects of the heritage that has shaped our community, and whereas we recognize the ongoing local efforts in our community to preserve, maintain, and promote 
adaptive reuse and restoration projects that are important to Astoria's character and history. Now, therefore, I, Arlene Lemire, Mayor of the City of Astoria, do proclaim the month of May 2018 as National Historic Preservation Month and call upon the people of Astoria to join their fellow residents across the United States in recognizing and participating in this special observance. And I believe we have some people here from the uh, Lower Columbia Preservation Society, if they'll come up. Councilors, uh, Councilor Namluwell. Well, a visit from Column Man is a tough act to follow, so I'm going to pass my report tonight. Thank you. Councilor <laughs> Brownson. Well, I'm going to have to follow the act. I'm sorry. Um, 
Just a couple of, well, a few things. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, make note that the budget committee met uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was a very successful, I think, uh, uh, meeting with the committee and with staff. And I just wanted to uh, say it was easy to get through, easy to understand. Um, the staff did an excellent job in putting it together and in presentation. And I think leading up to budget through the year, they have kept us well apprised of the priorities and their needs. And uh, that the budget really does a good job in these really very, you know, tight times for city revenues to make the most out of it. So I uh, want to applaud their good work. And also, I'm continuing to be involved with LOC with the tax and taxation and finance committees and uh, community development committees. And it's just been a great learning process to understand the interactions between the city and, uh, and the state and what's important in being able to advocate for the city of Astoria as well as cities in Oregon uh, to the state to help uh, make this uh, better for us. And um, I mean, there's a lot that went on. We had a work session where ODOT came and visited, maybe saw it in the Astoria. And uh, I just wanted to point out that the proposal that they are offering us to do work out there is one that uh, we're, we get an opportunity over the next couple of years to take a good look at. And um, as we go forward, we get to opt out just about any time. So it's, it's a great opportunity to uh, take a look at traffic in Astoria and, and ways of making it safer and uh, uh, a little bit easier to get around, maybe. And finally, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, play mayor today as, as, uh, because the mayor was absent and as president of the council, I got to go on a new cruise ship that came to call here. And this was a little bit unique. This is the, the smallest cruise ship that has ever come here. It carries 140 passengers. Um, very petite. It's uh, the uh, Silver Sea uh, Expedition, Silver Explorer, and Silver Sea Expeditions. And it's basically an educational boat. And um, it, this is its first stop in Astoria. It's going to make a couple more. It is. Uh, it spends its our winter months down in the Antarctic doing exploration. Uh, when they get done here on the west coast, they're going to go up to Alaska, across the Aleutians, to Russia, to Japan, and on down to Philippines and Hawaii, and back down to South America. So, very interesting. Uh, Captain Margaret Etlin uh, met with us, and she was uh, really interesting to talk to about what this cruise ship does and where it goes. So. I really enjoyed that as well, and we have this. We got this little plaque from them, and we gave them a plaque, which we do for their first time. We're sharing this with the Port of Astoria, and I will be giving it to Frank Spence here to take to the port to hang on over. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Price. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I want to compliment two of our. I was going to call it business sectors, but they're really just sectors. Uh, I was in my hometown Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, taking care, helping to do some family business for last week and I 
um, had a night to, to get away and I went to a place called Noda, North Davidson, which is the, the arts district in Charlotte. I've been hearing about it for years and how fabulous it is and I really should go because I'm so interested in the arts and so I finally did. And you know what? There's not one gallery in their arts district. So I was just, there's a lot of, there are a lot of murals and things like that, not one gallery. So Astoria, we are cooking. And uh, the other is that um, Charlotte is a big city, I, forgot, I don't know what the population is now, well over a million, and it's a banking uh, center. And uh, during the week there were two big front page stories that went on for two full pages on the inside about how some changes that were going to affect thousands of jobs in the city. And in all of these words, there was not one mention of the people that it would affect, what those people would do, what the citizens of Charlotte thought about uh, these changes. And I read this thinking, you know, if the Daily Astorian, if KAST, if KMUN does a story about even one of our small businesses, we don't have businesses here that are anywhere near their size, it would always include the people. Uh, the residence of the effect on the citizenry. So again, I'm really proud to be here in Astoria. Okay, thank you. Councillor Jones? Good evening, Mayor. In the interest of ensuring uh, all my neighbors have plenty of time to talk tonight, I'll pass. Okay. Uh, I, I just want to, uh, again, compliment our finance director, Susan Brooks, and our city manager. Um, uh, Brad Estes for the wonderful work that they did on the budget. Um, we've heard horror stories of how budget hearings used to last five and six nights. And uh, we, uh, because of their preparation and, and everybody worked hard to get through the budget ahead of time, but uh, we finished in uh, one night and one hour. So it was wonderful and um, it, it's all due to the preparation of you folks and we really appreciate it very much. The second thing is um, that uh, I was privileged to go to lunch out at Tongue Point to honor our local law enforcement. I thought it was such a nice gesture for the Tongue Point students and it was the culinary department that prepared the meal uh, and uh, they honored all the, the, the sheriff's department, uh, Astoria, uh, Gearhart, Warrington, uh, Seaside. Cannon, I, don't, I don't know whether Cannon Beach was there. Were they chief? No, I don't think so. But at any rate, I thought it was a very nice gesture on their part. And finally, uh, this week, we uh, mourn the passing of uh, a, an Astoria Parks and Recreation board member, Aaron Crockett. Uh, Aaron passed away on Saturday, May 5th, due to health complications. Aaron joined the Astoria Parks and Recreation Board in Janu on January 19, 2016, and immediately brought with him an energetic, youthful vitality that helped bring new perspective into our board. Aaron was a popular server at T. Paul's Supper Club, oftentimes earning the distinction in the Daily Astorian's Coast Weekend Annual Reader's Choice for Best Server. He was also an avid runner and part of Astoria's running community where you could find him out on our local trails and in local races. The energy he brought to the Astoria Parks and Recreation Board was palpable and his warm, welcoming personality will be greatly missed. 
A celebration of life will be held on May 20th, 2018, and details will follow. So I would ask you to just observe a moment of silence in honor of Aaron Crockett. The next uh, item on our agenda is the, or, or there are in, any changes to the agenda? No first? changes okay. to the agenda. Okay. Uh, the first item on our, our, our meeting tonight is the consent calendar. And uh, in the consent calendar, there are several items, but they're all passed by a single uh, motion unless someone has asked for an item to be removed. Have any, there been any requests? No citizen requests. Anyone on the council want to remove anything? Okay. Could we have a motion to approve, please? I move we approve the consent calendar. Second. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, Ms. Cosby, can you uh, give us the roll call, please? Councilor Memelong? Aye. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Councilor Price? Aye. Councilor Jones? Aye. Mayor O'Meara? Aye. Thank you. First agenda item, our regular agenda item. Uh, is a presentation by the neighbors of Birchfield regarding Birchfield. And um, we, let's see, the, who, who is actually giving the presentation? Okay. If you'll come to the uh, DS then and uh, state your name and address, please. And Mayor, while, while she's coming forward, I'll just give a brief intro to this. So following your February 14th uh, special city council meeting where there was discussion about Birchfield, uh, several Alderman re residents have expressed uh, an interest in adopting uh, and engaging in an agreement with the city for the care and maintenance of the field. After the presentation tonight and any discussion, it's recommended that council, uh, first of all, receive the presentation and determine whether to proceed with uh, what to do with the property and uh, again, what is going to be proposed uh, this evening by the neighborhood is a request to negotiate uh, a maintenance agreement. So I'll the unbuildable property. Turn it over. To <clears throat> Hi, my name is Lisa Morley. My address is 4908 Cedar Street in Astoria in Oliver neighborhood. Um, and do we the presentation up? Yes, yes, you just, you just forward it. Got it. So um, <laughs> this presentation is around uh, just what Mr. Esses pointed out, our proposal for the Friends of Alderbrook Parks to be established and to adopt Birchfield and Park in the Alderbrook neighborhood. So wanna, it's not a long presentation, but just share some memories of long-term residents of the uh, Alderbrook neighborhood about the park, the background of what we've done as a neighborhood just in the last uh, less than a month, uh, give you some information that I know you've heard just a, a slide to show some of the medical benefits both uh, health and mental uh, benefits of parks and green spaces and then share with you our proposal our five-step proposal starting with our maintenance um, uh, plan that we'd like to get your approval for to take over the maintenance of the park show some potential activities we would like to get reestablished in that space and then um, our request for your call to action, what we would like to uh, ask the city council to do. 
and uh, share with you our petition that we started circulating just two months ago, uh, two months, two weeks ago, <laughs> and a little something about the petition. We didn't we didn't go. We went old school, so we were just really looking for people that utilize that park that are in the neighborhood. We didn't go online. We didn't try and you know reach out to any social media and blow this thing up. We just wanted to find out from local people um, that mainly live in the neighborhood and come and use that neighborhood, what their interest was uh, in maintaining that as a park. And then answer, hopefully answer any questions you have. I won't say I'm the expert, but <laughs> if there's anything I can answer for you, um, then uh, that's what I'd like to cover tonight. So just, just talking to, again, some of our long-term uh, residents in the neighborhood, uh, just a few quotes that they gave in the, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they played ball there 60 years ago. I'll always remember that. My children played in that park. That was a resident uh, since 1964. I raised my three daughters playing in that park, a resident since 1957, still in residence in the Alderbrook neighborhood. I taught my grandson to play ball there. Now he's an all-star. You'll see a little picture of him a little bit later. <laughs> uh, he was in the park just yesterday playing. So the background is um, after we heard and, and some of us went to uh, Bruce's uh, meeting about what might possibly happen with the park, then we decided to have a meeting to get as many neighbors as we could together to find out as a neighborhood uh, if we wanted to try and, and take over the maintenance of the park to save that park or, or what the overall feel for the entire neighborhood was um, on, on Birch Field. So this was our first meeting. So held on April the 7th. We had 31 individuals sign in for that initial meeting. And then we spent two hours uh, gathering input about what people wanted to see happen with the, with the space. And then we broke up into some teams to brainstorm uh, what we wanted to do moving forward. And the brainstorm was based on the chip-in program of the Astoria Parks and Recognition, uh, Recreation. So to beautify the parks, uh, which includes remove invasive species with no harsh chemicals, reconnect citizens with the park. So talking about the history of the park, who created the park, how we can preserve a park, and then environmental stewardship of the park. Trash removal, picking up cigarette butts, uh, again, invasive species, plant species removal. So that's what, when we brainstorm, uh, that's what we wanted to try and come, come up with plans and proposals and ideas for as large a number of the people in the neighborhood as possible. So the outcome of that meeting, 31, the first thing we did was we went around and, and introduced, everybody introduced themselves and asked what each person wanted to see happen with that space. And I flip charted all of those responses and while there's some variation on what to do with it moving forward, all 31 attendees clearly stated they would like to maintain that space as a usable park. Um, nearby residents to assume maintenance, that was an overwhelming theme. We had plenty of people that signed up uh, and spoke up and said that they would step in and help to, main, uh, to start the maintenance on that park and, and to maintain it as a park. Improve the usability by using grants and neighborhood assistance. Use it for annual picnics and similar neighborhood activities. Uh, number one, improve the condition of the area. And then keep or expand the wetlands area of the property because 
there, as we'll see in some pictures, there is a grassy area and then there is a wooded area that has some water in it. So we wanted to keep that wooded area and turn that uh, potentially into a bioswale uh, area to maintain that wetlands portion of it and then add some native plants to attract wildlife in that area. So that was the, the kind of some of the common themes in that, in that, and now again, all of this will have to be fleshed out. This was one initial meeting, so uh, those were just some common themes that came out, but it'll still have to be moving forward. We'll have to put some committees together and get more approval, not only from the neighborhood, but then from the uh, Parks, and, uh, Parks and Rec and the City Council. So on the health benefits, so Healthy parks, healthy people advances the fact that all parks, urban and wildland, are cornerstones of people's mental, physical, and spiritual health and social well-being and sustainability of the planet. So it's a small park, but it's kind of our neighborhood park. <laughs> and we, we feel that this is true. Here's a, here's a, there's a ton of studies. There's a ton of um, peer-reviewed, analyzed, validated data on the health benefits of nature. Some of the, I think the three main ones for us, the for children outdoor play in a natural setting can improve motor strength, balance, and coordination. For the elderly, time outdoors in a natural setting can improve cognition, and exposure to nature can improve uh, depression, anxiety, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So all the rest of them kind of play into that same theme. But again, there's uh, been studies going on for many years about the health benefits of both urban and, and wild areas. So the recommended percentage to be allocated to open and or green space is 15 to 20% of, of the urban area. <coughs> so our proposals tonight are to number one, to formalize the Friends of Alderbrook Parks Neighborhood Action Committee to uh, complete the mem memorandum of agreement, uh, the MOA between the Friends of Alderbrook Parks and the City of Astoria for both maintenance and beautification of Birchfield and Park. To assume maintenance of Birchfield and Park, to then start on the proposals around the beautification and use of the park, and then to start establishing some activities, some ongoing uh, annual activities to take place in that park. So in the uh, and the uh, effort to look at this with the chip-in, those three areas for chip-in, we wanted to associate each one of our steps with where it would fit into those uh, three goals of the chip-in process. To reconnect citizens with their parks and environmental stewardship, we held our second meeting to again um, keep ourselves connected to that park, start moving into the environmental stewardship space of that area. That one was held two weeks later on April 21st. This time we had 33 individuals that signed in for the meeting. And the outcome of that meeting is that we did agree to formally uh, request, submit the request to start the Friends of Alderbrook Parks Neighborhood Group. And then we began the circulation of our petition to save Birchfield and Park. And that was a, a shot of that meeting as well. So this is a Google map overview of the park space. Not everything in that wooded area is included in the four uh, taxable city lots that are included. The, the grassy area is and part of that wooded area is included. So step two would be to complete that memorandum of agreement and then to assume maintenance and beautification of Birchfield and Park. 
Uh, we got uh, pretty excited about it, so we started last weekend with the mowing of the park. <laughs> So did it last year so it hasn't been really maintained for for about the last four years the by the list. by the parks because of the the funding so we are you know excited to, to be able to step in and, and start taking over maintenance of that so that this was done last weekend and the taller grass over on the right hand side still a little too wet to mow there so so he mowed the dry part and then we'll see this weekend they they uh, mowed the rest of it whenever it dried out so we want to begin immediate responsibility <laughs> for uh, mowing the field area of the park and we want to maintain removal of invasive plant invasive plant species uh, make sure we're doing trash pickup and disposal uh, debris removal and address hazards so uh, in the address, addressing hazards, again, we've already done that. There was a tree that broke off and was leaning and it wasn't all the way down. So we, were, we uh, removed that hazard. And then for step 3.1, <laughs> because uh, this is what happened this weekend. So when you approve us tonight, uh, as we fully anticipate that you will, uh, we, were, uh, we promised that we will maintain this uh, park night and our day and night so that that's what happened this weekend we had uh, that young all-star went out with his push mower and I, not too many people knew the bases and home plate were still out there they are <laughs> they, were, they were just covered up by the grass so so uh, young gunner here took his push mower out there and he um, mowed uh, squares around the bases and the home home plate so they can we can actually use it and you'll see here in a little bit they actually used it for a cup game a, a family uh, game this weekend and then mr abrams there went out there at night uh to make sure that that we were keeping it maintained so we will we will huh abrams abrams sorry uh we will we, <laughs> we will maintain it day and night so we are committed to to um not only maintaining but but making this a useful space for the neighborhood and for Astoria so to beautify our parks reconnect citizens with their parks and to maintain environmental stewardship uh, one of our first steps that we've talked about in that meeting once again everything has to be approved we know we can't just go out and make make changes without approval but one of the first things we talked about was adding two or three park benches um, for people to be able to sit down and actually uh, see the wildlife as well as watch the the games that are going on out there at dog waste stations so that we uh so that the kids out there aren't aren't running around uh, in any dogs that go out there and utilize that space as well and then again possible walking path around the perimeter grassy field area once again the the perimeter close to the woods so that people can go out still see in the wooded areas see the wildlife we've got deer and ducks and all kinds of birds and wildlife that, that go down there so that was one of the potential things we talked about just around that around that perimeter just to give you an idea of some of the conversations everything has to be you know approved neighborhood and city council and parks and rec we know that and then here were some of the uh, activities that came out of those uh, brainstorm conversations we had there's been an annual picnic uh, I think it hasn't happened I know not last year maybe not in the last two years but at least not last year so we talked about that'd be a perfect space to hold an annual picnic Easter egg hunts 
um, annual bird counts. There's three or four different types of annual bird counts that take place, both uh, Oregon-sponsored and Audubon and uh, nationally-sponsored that we could utilize that, um, that fielded area for. Summer movie nights are kind of a, a big you know, hit these days, so maybe doing a monthly summer movie night down there. And there was also talk of community gardens. And again, all of these plus plenty more uh, potential activities came out of those brainstorming conversations from that very first meeting. So we talk, started off talking about memories from people that have been there 60 years and, and, and plus, and so we want to make sure that we continue making new memories for those residents as well as new residents and uh, the children that are starting to move into the neighborhood. That is, that is something that's attractive to families, you know, whenever they first come look at that neighborhood and see if they want to live in that neighborhood. One of the main attractions is that there is an area there for their kids to play. There, there's also the Violet LaPlante Park, um, not quite as big, and then the other one is um, Alderbrook itself, but it, it's across Leaf Erickson. So it's a quite a busy, coming right off that curve, it's, it's a pretty dangerous place to be. We, we were there Saturday picking up the petitions, having the petitions dropped off, and just listening. We had the door open so people would know we were there, and just listening to the traffic going by. Uh, it was pretty loud. It was pretty scary about you know the speed that, that that's going on back and forth. So it's not really that viable of an option as this park is uh, to have all the neighborhood kids be able to go there safely and, and not have to, to walk across that, that very busy highway. And so this is yesterday. <laughs> so thankfully, uh, Jen let me drop off an, an, the updated presentation today with some uh, pictures from yesterday after it was mowed and after Gunner did his work and after Mr. Abrams did their work and who else did the mowing? He's the seeker, Jim. Jim. Yeah, he sneaks down there and, <laughs> yeah. and then nobody knows him. He's right, like, uh, yeah, he sneaks ghost. in there, nobody sees him, we can't get pictures of him doing it. <laughs> we just look out our windows in the park mode. So, so they've done a great job of getting that in uh, in pretty good shape this early in the in the season as wet it was as it was over the winter. So um, that was a the pickup <coughs> game and, and uh, little Gunner's is that Gunner's sister? Yeah, I said that was her oh, little uh, grass bouquet that she made. She was carrying that around quite proudly while the while the brothers and sisters were playing playing uh, ball. But the kids play there anytime it's dry anyway. Yeah. So <clears> last weekend. Okay, let's let's last excuse week, me, but let's let her make her presentation, please. Last weekend when they did the first mowing, we had several people out there. I didn't get down there in time to get any pictures, so. This weekend, as soon as I saw him down there, I went running, <laughs> running down and, and took pictures. So as soon as it got mowed, it started, it immediately started getting used. So started out with former memories and now we're already starting to see new memories being made uh, immediately as soon as it started being mowed. So our next steps is to formalize the Friends of Alderbrook Parks group with Astoria Parks and Rec. Complete the MOA, immediately assume maintenance, mowing, invasive species removal, trash pickup, debris removal, address hazards. Begin reaching out to the experts. I've already started talking to uh, different departments and groups that are going to be a huge help to us in this planning, the de design and implement the maintenance and the developments. 
because once again we've got the we've got the wetlands area even though it's not an official native wetlands area it is it is being uh, utilized as that with the runoff so we want to make sure and get the right people involved so of course that story of parts and rec the north coast watershed association which i've already started conversations with the wildlife center of the north coast went out and talked to them this weekend the Clatsop Soil and Water Conservation District, the Oregon Master Gardeners, talked to them and they're the ones that turned me on to the <laughs> North Coast uh, Watershed Association. They would like to get involved a little bit later when we are further on in our plans. Uh, the Tongue Point Job Corps Centers, I've already been talking to them about being able to utilize some of those resources to help us with the work and the Clatsop Community College. And then begin researching and writing grants to fund improvements. We already have one grant writer on the, in the neighborhood that's already volunteered to uh, help with grant writing plus we have somebody else on the on the team that uh, has a friend that's a grant writer and has already reached out to them so that's a pretty big uh, win <laughs> being able to have grant writers already at your disposal is a pretty big win so our request to the city council tonight is asking you to vote tonight to permanently remove Birchfield and Park from consideration for sale and to approve our request to move forward with the Friends of Alderbrook Parks Agreement. Our petition, I didn't know if you needed um, original or copies. I didn't know if it mattered. So I have both, and I don't know who to give this to. We got 156 signatures. This is copies, this is original. So we were able to gather 156 sig signatures. Again, the majority of them were in the neighborhood or they visited the neighborhood. We didn't. We didn't go to Fred Myers and sit outside. We didn't go to Safeway and sit outside. We just circulated this in the neighborhood to neighbors and, and friends. So those are the 156 signatures. We started out with 149 today, this morning, and we ended up with 156 <laughs> by tonight. So I don't know who to give this to and if you want the original or the, or the copy. Okay. Copies are fine. Perfect. Yeah. Great. And then, are there any uh, questions that, that I potentially can answer for you? Before we have any questions, I just want to thank you very much for this presentation. It was very professionally done and uh, uh, impressive. I love my neighborhood. <laughs> I love my neighbors and I love my neighborhood. <laughs> okay, are there questions or comments from the council? Well, I'd be happy to start out. I don't really have any questions. I really want to thank you for your presentation. Um, uh, you know, this is, when we went, when we started this process of, of looking at possible properties to sell, <coughs> the intent was pretty strong because we had just spent a lot of time talking to parks and recreation about um, how difficult it was to do all the things that they needed to do. And Birchfield was a good example yep. of what was getting bypassed, as you pointed out. And, um, and when we went out and we asked for more money, we, you know, we ended up, I went and talked to uh, hotel owners, you know, saying, well, we'd like to ask for more tax money That's from right. you to help support our parks. I bet they and, just jumped right on that. Well, <laughs> and, and the important part of that to me, to me is that part of the conversation was that if we're going to ask the business community to throw in more, the city needs to make sure that we're doing everything we can to uh, make our parks and rec manageable. Yeah. 
So this was just one of the ways to kind of explore that possibility. Um, and I just want to say, with that, I won't talk a whole lot more about it. I, I just want to say in general that I think this is a, a great outcome in looking out, you know, looking at these things. You know, when we met on February 14th and we talked about this, immediately after we had the post office part right. adopted, right. we have an installation going in, a title park, and so they were just kind of taken off and and um, and then all this response from uh, Alder Brook, you know, I've been listening to it, I, I, I talked to Jim, um, a variety of people about this, I've gotten letters about it, and, and uh, just the enthusiasm and the way the neighborhood has come together on this, I just think it's great. Awesome. I know it's not a question, I just, I would like to say, I think, I don't know how much background we all knew, but I, I think when we found out about the chip-in and about the friends of possibility and potential, I think we were thrilled to be able to step up and say, we want to contribute. I, I personally, I don't think many of us think that government's responsible for everything. I think we all work as a as a community together, so I'm, I, would, I think we're thrilled to be able to, to work in partnership. Yeah, thanks, great. Any other comments or questions? Well, yeah, I just I think it's terrific seeing so many different groups of uh, neighbors throughout the community come together, as depicted in the article in the Daily Historian today, terrific article about again the uh, the visual arts display at Totter Rock Park and the Clatsop County Master Gardeners doing the improvements in the Learning Garden at Alderbrook Park and uh, and uh, I'm just I'm really glad that the possibility of a sale of Birchfield has inspired the uh, enthusiasm of so many neighbors to come up and, and indicate an interest not only in maintaining the park, as some folks like Mike Abrams has done in the past, but to actually improve the park. Uh, to simple things like park benches, uh, just to make it a little bit more enjoyable for more people uh, to be able to take advantage of the park for, uh, for years to come. So I'm really pleased to see so much enthusiasm from the community and and from our neighbors to improve our parks. Well, ditto, as they say. Uh, I do. What I do want to hear from our parks director, Angela Cosby, or uh, for our city manager, Mr. S Mr. Essie. What do you feel about this? I have one small concern. Could be bigger, which is that. Uh, well, of course, when we talked about selling these parks, we were always interested in what do the neighbors say first, and so you. Uh, had your say here, and it's uh, really quite a beautiful one. Um, so I'm certainly in favor of a neighborhood agreement or a maintenance agreement with parks. What I'm concerned about is this is so far thinking. Uh, this is more in terms of a master plan, such as been done for M McClure Park or even Shively. And my concern is, is that a burden to the parks department, something that we're trying to take the burden off, particularly administration. These sort of not creating new parks was number one in the parks master plan. And so I'd just like to hear, again, what's the parks department think about this plan and um, how, how can we go forward? Angel. Sure. Um, Ms. Morley and I actually spoke about this a few weeks ago when she shared with me her hopes and what the community had discussed and hoping to develop the park into. And I kind of used the scare tactic with her, but was very honest and upfront of saying, when we develop parks, we really have to plan for the future. And I explained what the Friends of McClure Park went through and the grant that we received to do an actual site plan and hiring landscape architects to do so. And that whenever we want to 
do large-scale planning of parks in the future that we want to look and adopt a similar model. Does that answer your question? So is that is that what you hear being presented here tonight as a similar model? I don't think we're all the way there tonight yet, um, I, from my understanding of it. At, at this point in time, really the question that staff is looking from council is, do you, how do you want to move forward? Do you, would you like to have staff meet with the Alderbrook residents to be able to put together some sort of agreement? And if so, it would be brought back to you. And then the dialogue about how much capacity would the Parks Department be able to take on in the future, that discussion would happen as a part of the negotiations. Um, Ms. Cosby has, you know, been able to meet uh, with some of the residents to be able to talk about what would that look like but we haven't been given the direction to even start those negotiations at, at this point so those haven't really even even happened as to even conversations about what is even doable uh, from the city of Astoria's Parks Department side. And if, if I can just say all, the only thing we're talking about immediately is the maintenance so the mowing the trash pickup the hazardous uh, any hazards, uh, removal of invasive species, that's all we're talking about immediately. The other were just conversations we had in the brainstorming, but like I said, all that would have to be proposed and, and go through the, the formal process. None of that is on the immediate plan. Well, just to, to put a button on it, I'm certainly in favor of the basic friends agreement that we have with uh, other parks, and I congratulate you on, on putting this together and getting your neighborhood to, to come together and save this piece of parkland. Yeah, I'm in favor of having the friends, having the group continue the development of a friends agreement to be brought to council for a, approval in the future once Ms. Cosby and the friends group have worked out the details through staff. So I'm, I'm in favor, assuming that that happens, I would be in favor of withdrawing my previous support for delisting the park. Um, well, I, I, I guess I would also, um, you know, I'm on the side of my colleagues tonight. You know, the whole reason why we we're talking about selling this park is because it's become very clear that Astoria Parks Department really has more to take care of than the resources yep. um, to do it. And the condition of this park really reflects that, right? And, um, you know, the fact that you guys have already taken so much time and energy and you've come here tonight and presented this um, presentation and um, there are people out there mowing you know um, I was a little bit concerned about follow-through on this and I, I still am a little bit you know I don't know how sustainable this is going to be you know if you talk about selling a park you know apparently people come out and <laughs> they say they want to take care of it so um, you know, it's my hope that this is a sustainable solution, um, but you know, why not give it a try? Um, so I certainly uh, would support um, your group working with staff to uh, form an agreement that's mutually beneficial. And I, I thank you very much, and I thank everyone for coming out tonight. Um, I grew up in that neighborhood, and I remember playing baseball with a wiffle ball and bat there. Um, yeah. 
But I, you know, I haven't seen too many people at the park um, over the years. Um, but you know, I think yeah. if the if the grass is mowed, right? You know, that that's 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 going to help. And <laughs> if the bases are uncovered, right? You know, and uh, boy, if there's some new amenities, that would be really really nice. So thank you very much. So I, I would make a motion, but I'm just uh, I'm just curious um, uh, what would be most beneficial for for staff um, for this motion. Are we not going to be able to talk? Nobody else. That's up to the mayor. Um, what do you think, Arlene? Well, we can allow it. The, uh, the thing is, I think. I'm feeling consensus to go ahead and pass this unless somebody wants to. No, I don't want to talk. <laughs> I want you want to you you talk? Well, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Then, if we do that, then we'll allow three minutes per person three because otherwise uh, it gets to be too long. So, if you'd like to come forward then and say a few words. I can just talk from here. It's all right. Uh, no, because we, we tape everything. Uh, oh, we got to be on camera. We don't, ha we don't have a secretary <laughs> taking minutes. And, and who knows, Mayor, maybe oh, yeah, there's someone here tonight to, to speak in opposition. Yeah. I kind of doubt it, but it's possible. <laughs> How's it going? I won't embarrass you too much. Too late. Okay, I'm kind of yeah. wanting to know. If you'll provide your name and address for the minutes. Please. Oh, you'll tell me when to talk? No. <laughs> we just need your name and address, and they'll put, so that can be appear in the minutes. Mike Abrams, Alder Road, fourth generation. How about that? Do you have an address there? What does address mean? Address. address. Mailing address. Mailing address. Oh, 4880 Ash. Thank you. Okay. On the water. So, what happened to the two percent that the uh, the room tax on 2016? You know the percentage of that. Where did that go? And the twenty thousand dollar raise she got, and that's a sawdust filled field. You know, so it's not buildable. But we need what we need wetlands, and they did a tree study from a guy from Orange County, California. Last summer, that was a waste of money. He was from Orange County. He didn't know what a fir, hemlock, or nothing was. He didn't know where he was. He uh, didn't know what a spruce. He didn't know anything, but he knew his cedar trees really good. He knew those were awesome. So that was a waste of money. So anyway, that two percent of that two hundred thousand from um, Riverwalk Inn on 2016, you didn't add that to the. 20,000 shortfall docket. So, and why are we having a baseball field used as an ATM, you know, when they screw up and uh, gamble their money away too much? What other things I got to complain about? So we need uh, water. We need water. Um, oh, if we fill it, the water will just go in everybody's basements, everybody else's. So it's got to have a water intrusion. You got to have a place for the water go. We really shouldn't have to take care of it. We pay taxes. They can mow it twice a year, and we'll take care of the rest like we have for 40 years. The Olsons, me, I've cleaned the trees. I mowed the trees with my $80,000 mowers. So they're always, kids don't have to 
crawl up to their knees because my machine will go underwater almost. So what else? Oh, the backstop was sinking because it's full of sawdust. Uh, Mrs. Olson will contend to that. She played in that sawdust field down there. So we gotta have a place for water to go anyway. You know, and you guys are gonna, down the road, gonna have to have a place for water to go anyway. You know that, and it's a place where water goes. You gotta have wetlands. And in the wintertime, it floods all the time. And that's when a lot of people drive by and say, oh, nobody's playing in it. Well, in the summertime, when it's dry, people play in it. So, if I said it right, if I said it wrong, I'm sorry. If I said it right, perfect. Hurry. Did I go over my three minutes? Nope. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. yes. Go ahead, sir. Did you agree to that? <laughs> yeah, there you are. So, uh, Larry Bondrance, I live at 5141 Birch Street, in Alderbrook. Uh, I bought my house in 1980. Larry, will you speak up, please? Um, yes. So, I bought my house in 1980. And at that time, it was a regular ball field. It was maintained by the city, had the bases, everything, it was cut. It was basically maintained, you know, up until like four years ago or something. So that means like for 30 years, there were, you know, the city had a solution to it and wanted to maintain it. So just recently, you know, I don't know, four or five years, now the city does not have a solution for uh, maintaining the park anymore. So, what uh, I think is, it's a, a drastic solution to take what is a, a public open space, been a public open space uh, for many years, and um, to say we're going to eliminate this piece of property as a public open space because we cannot solve the problems that it has right now. So, give us a space and time, let the neighborhood take care of it for now, let the city decide. and. Um, what you don't want to do, I don't think you want to do, is to deprive other city councils and other park and recreation directors from coming up with a solution by selling and getting rid of this property as public open space forever. That's what I have to say. Thank you. Hi, I'm Cheryl Wade. I live at 486 47th Street in Astoria. I am an Oregonian transplant. I've lived in Alderbrook since 1974. I've emailed all of you, so you all really know my views. I don't think that we should have to beg the city to let us keep that piece of property. Um, it, it, like you said, it's public property, and, and, and if we have to do what we have to do to keep it, it was used as a baseball field. In fact, when they clean up the wetlands, I hope we can get all the softballs back. But I don't, I don't think that there should be any discussion. Um, we've emailed, we've written, they've all met. Unfortunately, I couldn't be at the meeting because I was out of town, but I really think that there shouldn't be any discussion. If the people in Alderbrook, and Bruce is now an, an Alderbrook person, and the city's well aware of, of how strong Alderbrook community is. And if they say they're going to do it, we're going to do it. And I'd really like to see the city council make that decision today. 
Thank, okay, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? My name is Kathy Olson. I live at 5059 Birch Street in Astoria. I'm happy to say that we're moving forward, but I have one thing that really concerns me and bothers me. And so I have to tell you, even though I know we're moving forward, I don't want to be a wet blanket, but this is what I have to say. It is my personal opinion that the city of Astoria is contradicting themselves. The city imposes fees and penalties on homeowners whom they deem to consider their homes as derelict. It is quite possible that some of these homeowners do not have the resources or manpower to maintain their homes according to the city's standards. And yet the city of Astoria has not maintained their parks due to lack of resources and manpower, also, also causing the parks to become derelict. This to me is a contradiction. We have been told that because the ball field on Birch Street is the least utilized, the city now chooses to consider selling it. In simple terms, this ball field is not utilized to its full potential because the city of Astoria has dropped the ball, no pun intended, and no longer maintains the field. So I'm asking you on behalf of all the children of Astoria, I would like to ask that you keep and maintain the parks for the children of Astoria. Thank you. Okay, could we have a motion? Is it, unless there's someone else. Anybody else? Okay. Other, all right. Hi, I'm Jim Rafferty. I live at 4825 Birch. And hopefully I won't be redundant, but uh, what Mike Abrams said about uh, where the water was going to go. Uh, I live in one of the mill houses that is actually below street level, about half a block from, the, from Birch Field. And if you uh, were to construct uh, multi-unit housing there, with all the runoff of the roofs and the pavement and everything, um, that I fear could possibly travel to other people's basements down the street, like mine, for example. Um, I realize that you know engineers can handle a lot of water, but I have pictures of uh, massive amounts of water that have encroached not only in Birchfield but in the neighboring property at um, 4998 Birch, which is owned by Gila Allen, uh, all the way up almost to what would be 50th Street. And um, I have pictures of water about this far from actually entering Alderbrook Station and Darren Doss's uh, cabin that's there. So I'm just curious where all that water would go if there was actually construction on that property, if it was, if it was built. You know, it seems to me you could put the biggest French drains in the world in there. And, you know, on a high winter tide, it's not going to cut it. So that's my main concern. Thank you. Thank you. Councillor Jones, would you like to make the motion? Mr. Estes never had a chance to answer your earlier question. What, what would be most useful to staff as far as framing this? I think just if your interest is to negotiate um, some sort of maintenance agreement with uh, the residents of Birchfield or the, the organization which is 
been uh, established, uh, make that a motion. And then our parks director would be able to work um, with them to be able to uh, come to some agreement. And again, it appears that the primary focus is going to be maintenance at this point in time. Perhaps you know, we can have conversations about, about future activities, how that would roll out if there was an interest. But I really would say that you know, what I'm hearing today is it's more of a, of a request for maintenance agreement for that area if that's what you're so inclined. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll modify that to, to include potent future improvements just because having attended the last meeting that was the majority of people were in favor of participating in future improvements obviously with the full approval of the uh, Parks Department before moving forward. So I would, I would move that we direct city staff to negotiate with the friends of uh, Alderbrook Parks or friends of Birchfield, depending on what you choose to call yourselves, on a maintenance agreement for Birchfield with the uh, process for future potential improvements to Birchfield. So they got more money to spend other places? Second. Is there a second? Thank second. you. Okay, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Wow. Thank you. Thank you all. One thing I would plead with you, if you find any places that we can use to build for affordable housing, please let us know, because that's an overriding problem in this community. And while we want to keep the parks as much as we can, we also don't want to increase the homeless problem. So I would plead with you to help us on that. Thank you. No, not at this time. At the end of the meeting, if you'd like to, then it's open for open discussion, but we're talking about this now. Yeah. Okay. And I'd just like to make, I make a couple quick comments here on and I again I really appreciate what the neighborhood of Alderbrook is doing here and I think it's a great thing it's going to be a big help um, but you know if you have particular concerns about things that are happening in the city your counselors we have phone numbers emails we're happy to have those discussions with you about specifics that's one thing and the other thing is that um, be clear, we did not make a decision to sell Birch Field. We were just exploring. And we have a great staff. We got a lot of good information about the viability. And we just, we weren't there yet. We weren't even, we had a long way to go before we would, there would be a dis true discussion um, and process for selling Birch Field or anything like that. So I appreciate that everybody has come out and responded in this way. But just be clear, you know, the city council was not eminently about to sell Birch Field. But, you know, we, we have to look at all possibilities when it comes to managing these cities. And, and uh, when she said that, you know, people who lack resources have a hard time keeping up their house and the city lacks resources keeping up the city, well, as a city, one thing that's different with us is that we're trying 
to fix it. We're trying to find ways to take care of our house, and we're always looking for ways to do that. Uh, we're not, we don't want to neglect this city. We love the city, so just want to make that clear. Thank you. Okay, the next item of business is a presentation by the Lower Columbia Preservation Society regarding the Customs House. Hello, I'm Rachel Jensen, Executive Director of the Lower Columbia Preservation Society, and um, we're here tonight to um, express our interest in negotiating with the city a maintenance agreement for um, the Customs House, um, particularly at the site that it's still, that it currently exists where it was built, um, and I brought, John Gutenberger uh, agreed to come and tell us uh, just a brief history of the reconstruction so you can understand why the site's important, so. Uh, John Gunber, 856 Harrison, number two. Uh, people always ask, why is it there? And so quickly, uh, in 1848, President Polk realized there's lots of ships going up and down the river and we aren't getting any money. So he sent John Adair here, who is the son of the Kentucky uh, governor, to come out and uh, become our first customs officer on the West Coast. And this photograph is of the Customs House in its original location uh, shortly before it was pushed down in about 1901. And when McClure, excuse me, when Adair arrived here in 1849, Shively and McClure, some of the original platters, were greeted him with open arms and expected him to pay an exorbitant price uh, to uh, put the Customs House here. Shively had a, a plat approximately where Fort George was that he had planned for a customs house. But when uh, Adair found out how much money Shively wanted for that site, he said, forget you, I'm heading up to East Astoria and buying a plot from A.E. Wilson. And from then on, there was this uh, uh, a rivalry between the east end of Astoria and the main part of Astoria. And that rivalry has gone on for decades as to be which would be the true Astoria, which would be the business district in Astoria. And in 1850, a Supreme Court Justice of the Oregon Territory came through, his name was William Strong, and he noted at that time that our population of 25 was in a rivalry from one part of town to the next. So um, in 1852, the Custom House burned with all the money in it, and somehow, Adair was able to go to the federal government and get money to build a second customs house. So there he is, he has his customs house, and it must have warmed his heart when Joseph Hooker, General Joseph Hooker, arrived on the scene. Now General Joseph Hooker is known for his Civil War battles, which he lost to Robert E. Lee, and ushered the way to Gettysburg. But here in the 1850s, he was battling trees in Clatsop County. And it was his goal to create a road from Salem to the Customs House. And on this drawing, you can see from 1856, here we come from Salem, and it goes directly to the Customs House. <laughs> because this is, it was constructed in case the mouth of the river was ever invaded by a, by a foreign enemy, that the soldiers would come from Salem and go to the one point of the Fed where it was established was the federal presence on 
the coast, which was that little customs house in Uppertown. And here we can see the end of it ending right there at the customs house. So we move forward to 1992 when the U.S. Customs Service gave the city of Astoria a $90,000 grant to recreate the second customs house on that site as a memorial for the bicentennial of the Customs Service. So the city got together a, a, um, a committee. Um, it involved uh, the Maritime Museum. Uh, Ann Whitty, the curator, was there. She was a part of it. Doug Thompson was a city councilor at the time. He was a part of it. The Customs Service was a part of it. I was a part of it doing the initial design and construction drawings and research of it. And during that time, we constructed the most accurate reconstruction in the state of Oregon. And it's hand-hewn, it's hand-planed, it has square nails, it has cow hair plaster. The carpenters went dumpster diving in a slaughterhouse to get that hair out to put it into the plaster of that uh, building. We put it as close as we could to the original site. It's about 200 feet from the original site. When we put it on that site, we regraded the site uh, because it was down in water. And we regraded it to get a little bit of a hump. Then also we hired um, uh, uh, Beth Holland to do a rustic garden around it of indigenous plants. Um, and we started that. It was on the front and on the back. And it was so successful it was cut down uh, because it was easier to mow. So whoever mowed it, whoever cut it down didn't get the memo. We kind of wanted it to be rustic. And uh, so had that been allowed to stay, it would have had more of kind of a context. And when we did it in 1992, we really had this idea that we were going to try to make Leif Erikson more pedestrian friendly and make a little park for people to stop along the way going down to what's now Gino's Pizza, who I think was still an a ice cream place at the time. Uh, but nevertheless, we thought we could create a little park for people to come and rest. So. Now it's there, now it's this kind of funny looking thing, and the question is, can it still tell the story? And I would argue, yes, it does, because people say, why is it there? It's there because that's where the water line used to be. It's there because, you know, again, John Adair split from the main folks and put it there. So much like the green lines that go through Fort George that show the original palisade of Fort Astoria and Fort George that we see painted on our street, People look at that and say, why is it there? People can look at the Customs House, why is it there, and learn from it. We have some brief little plaques there um, that give some explanation, and there could probably be some other ways that maybe Rachel can talk about of ways that we could interpret that and make it uh, uh, a, a better learning experience for the local folks. Thank, Thank you, John. John. Um, so it's... The board of uh, the Lower Columbia Preservation Society has, you know, discussed this. We've talked with Angela, but of course it hasn't been, we haven't yet been able to get into negotiations, and so that's why we're here. We see this as um, something that we can continue to partner with um, CCC, the HP program. They're going to be doing workshops there um, this fall, um, so they would be helping with the maintenance of the building, um, and we could take on things like um, the site. Um, the lawn maintenance, things like that, and potentially doing some different landscaping if the city was open to it. Um, we also think we could promote it a little bit better, do more online interpretive things so that people can um, get more of the story behind it and why it's there, um, potentially make it a um, more popular stopping site, a place for photographs, things like that. We can do social media. 
things to get it used more and so people understand it really does have a fascinating history and it was put there very close to where the original was. It's not, it's not an arbitrary sighting and so we think that that's really important. And one of our, we did, we did strategic planning this uh, last December and one thing we did when we changed our mission was to include sites. And so this kind of fits really well into our mission of now trying to also include historic sites as important places to preserve and promote, not just the architecture. So we hope that you'll let us start negotiating an agreement. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, city council discussion. Well, I love the idea. And that was a great history, John. I mean, I've lived here my whole life, and I, I've never heard that story. Um, and so I like, I like your ideas of being able to, you know, get the story out there um, in new ways. Is, what's, the, what's the inside like? I mean, is that viable for people to, to go inside, or is it, is it really the, the outside that's special? It was the way that we got the building permit for it was the building inspector just accepted it was a set piece. And there was the hope that there would be some furniture inside to recreate, so it's going to be kind of a diorama. It was, just, it was accepted that at some point the doors would be open and maybe people could go in and there could be interpretation in there. But it was really, it doesn't meet building codes because it was done in the way of 1852. So. Uh, it has a different structure. We had to make two exceptions. One was we had to put in a little, some diagonal pieces for wind shear, and then they were afraid the winds would pick it up and move it. <laughs> so we have, actually have a bolt that goes through the hand-hewn beams into the rocks, and the rocks were set into concrete so it doesn't blow away, and that's hidden. Uh, but other than that, um, it's an 1852 building, and so it has no electricity, no heat, etc. No bathrooms, uh, but it could be again if to have a meeting in it to have you know talk about the custom service or something to that effect um, that could that could happen inside. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being interested in in taking this on. I mean, it's interesting. Like if you look at the history of all of the all of the parks and the and the sites, you know that the parks department has to oversee. You know it. it I don't think it always makes sense for, for the city parks department to necessarily take care of uh, everything, you know? And it, you guys, you know, being the Lower Columbia Preservation Society could probably do a better job telling the story because that's part of your focus. So thank you for your interest. Well, I like, John, what you said about maybe more interpretation. I've always thought it was just a real shame going by the customs house every day for the last seven years and there's never anybody there. And one reason is all they see is the building and there's very little interpretation. And I think there's a huge potential to really get more value from it for both our residents and for visitors by having more signage with interpretation that talks more about some of the things you mentioned. Um, so I think, you know, with. I would, I would love to see an agreement that was not just for cutting grass, but for having better interpretive signage and other, other, other types of interpretation, maybe. You know, these conversations that, that we've had about Birchfield and Customs House in particular, and, and the parks just in general, which was a very long conversation last year, but these two conversations have been a real um, learning and, and refocusing for me, experience for me. 
I, especially having just come back from a big city, uh, you know, you look at Astoria and, and it, it, Astoria, we don't have a banking business here. We don't have a gigantic port with all of these kinds of jobs and that. What makes Astoria so uh, inviting to the residents and to, to, to visitors alike is, is, is Astoria itself. I mean, that's it. Uh, it's, it's not a tourist destination like Los Angeles, which has Disneyland, but you can also get a great job in Hollywood or something. <laughs> so it, it just reminds me again something that, that um, I, is, is generally more at the top of my head than it may have been lately, which is that we, we have to, now that we face all these challenges uh, now that big cities have, and, of people experiencing homelessness and of lack of housing of all sorts and how do we do all of that. We, we have to, I think, really keep in mind what it is that has made these challenges come to us. And that is that we have to work even harder to protect and preserve those places that make Astoria a unique slice of Americana. And we can do it and, um, and we can certainly do it with the help of of, of neighbors and historic preservation. I do think it is going to take the village. We are not in the 1980s when there were, what, five people at the cemetery and a much larger parks department and all of that. It's much leaner times and we do need everyone's help, but we, we just have to do it. And so thanks, this is, I love this story, it's fascinating. Did you want to I've said enough tonight. <laughs> I, 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 just, I, I agree with the comments of my fellow counselors. Yeah, the only thing I would add is that it, it always has looked to me like it's sitting out there. It's very bare. It needs uh, landscaping. So is that if this if this is approved as part of the memorandum MOU, um, will you be working on landscaping again or? Yeah, we, we've discussed, you know, very preliminarily, but with John, um, and he's discussed it with other people in the past as well, doing something potentially um, more native grasses, things like that, and mm -hmm. even like a pollination garden or something like that. So okay. definitely less sparse looking. Keep the lawnmower away this time. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Anyone like to make a motion? Uh, I move the City Council uh, not proceed with selling the Customs House uh, and its surrounding property and, and uh, work to negotiate a maintenance agreement with the Lower Columbia Preservation Society. I'll second that. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Okay, our next item of business is a public hearing and first reading of uh, telecommunication service tax ordinance. Okay, Mr. City Attorney. Good evening. Uh, uh, this item um, is a proposed ordinance to impose a 7% tax on telecommunication services. Uh, as, it, as presently existing, um, our, our standard uh, telecommunications provider, Quest, pays 7% on its gross revenues. Um, 
those uh, providers who uh, have telecommunication services through cable um, don't pay anything on their gross revenues. Um, and that's primarily charter. What this proposal will do is impose a 7% tax on telecommunication services provided by cable operators primarily. The way it's written is for you would impose a 7% tax on uh, anyone who does not have a, uh, a franchise agreement with the city. Uh, this uh, is not a new issue. Uh, the, uh, the state of Oregon authorized communities to impose a 7% tax uh, back, way back in 1989. Uh, and uh, the city originally, uh, we originally proposed this uh, a similar ordinance back in 2012, uh, and the council at that time decided not to proceed with it. So it's essentially the same ordinance that uh, existed then. Okay, it, can can you clarify this? This would be a seven percent only on the telecommunications portion of that's correct. Charter, essentially activities. charter, but anybody else who provides telecommunication services. So it just it just occurred to me, um, cell phones. So we don't have a tax on cell phone usage no. because we don't. It's not. There's something fundamentally different about it, or it hasn't been determined. Well, there's several things that are fundamentally different. One is cell phones don't use utilize our our rights of way uh, to transmit their signals. So we have no like legal basis in that sense to, to charge them a tax. Would a cell tower be such a thing? Federal law prohibits us from doing it, so okay. What was the council's reasoning in 2012 to reject this very similar proposal? Or the That's same an interesting proposal? Interesting question. The only thing I can remember is Mayor Van Dusen saying no new taxes. <laughs> That's good. So I, 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 there wasn't much other discussion about that. I mean, it seems like we always need more money. I mean, uh, <laughs> and so what What would be the downside of this? I'd love to speak to that. Um, well, the, the downside, I suppose, is that folks who uh, utilize uh, charter for the telecommunications services uh, could uh, recognize an increase in their rates. Okay, thank you. This really boils down to, though, what's about fairness. So Quest has to pay it. It's the same service. It were legal. It's legal for us to do it. I mean, the other alternative would be to, if we're going to be fair, we, is to take, you know, uh, dispose of the 7% to Quest. So um, I think it's just fair for competitiveness. That, Telecommunications is telecommunications, same same deal. That's pretty much the, the concept, and and it's not a it's not unique at all. The, the city of Astoria, most communities that I'm aware of, imposes this tax. Any other questions? How did the seven percent? How was that derived? Legislative is a number come up by the legislator. Because I guess I didn't read it that carefully. The um, Resolution because the memo says five percent, and then where, so where's the other two come from? Um, if your memo says five percent, you got an older version of the memo. Okay. 
So this would basically, in our area, it's Charter is going to, to be the one who has this fee. At this point, I think Charter is the only other provider, although I couldn't tell you for sure. Yes, sir. Do we have any more questions? Otherwise, I will open the public hearing. Thank you. Okay, we'll open the public hearing. If you want to speak to this, if you'll come to the mic and state your name and address. How much time do you think you'll need? Five minutes? Seven? Okay. Okay. We'll We'll go up to 10 now. I mean, I can talk really fast. <laughs> I'm Robin Smith. I'm from Charter Communications, and I'm the Senior Manager of Government Affairs. Um, our office is in Vancouver, Washington, at 222 Northeast Park Plaza Drive, but I live on Hayden Island, and I love the Columbia River. So I'm happy to be here today uh, in Astoria. But, um, what I want to talk to you about is the basis for the fee. So um, there's no rational basis for the fee. To the extent that the city intends to impose any new taxes or fees on charter customers, regardless of the service, we believe it's unwarranted and unlawful. If the intent is to tax the internet, the city should recognize that the internet is an important service in today's economy and adding a tax to that service is unwarranted and unlawful. Astoria residents rely on internet service for work, for school, and all manner of information critical to their daily lives, getting the weather, health information, job searches. Um, it's unfair to burden customers with a new internet tax when the city is already fully reimbursed for the use of the right-of-way with our 5% franchise fee. Let's be candid. This is a tax, not a fee. Fees are imposed to recover costs, taxes to raise revenues for the general fund. Charter's internet service does not impose any additional regulatory costs or right-of-way burdens on the city. As such, there's no basis to impose an additional fee on customers. It is a tax. So what is the customer impact of this, of this action? If the purpose of a utility license ordinance like this is to secure fair and reasonable compensation for its residents, realize that any tax imposed on customers as a result of this ordinance will be, one, passed through to customers, and two, line itemized on the bill indicating the origin and the amount of the tax, just like the 5% franchise fee we already pay. For example, if the city imposes a 7% tax on Charter's broadband, voice, video, um, the typical customer would pay almost $11 every month in city-imposed taxes, which would appear as a line item on all of the customers' bills in the city of Astoria. Last year alone, Charter's customers paid $121,700 in franchise fees to the city. Additional taxes will not encourage the adoption of broadband services or higher speeds of service. Um, again, I want to uh, make sure it's clear that there's really no authority to impose additional licensing requirements. It appears that the city is imposing, in addition to the franchising agreement we already have, 
new licensing requirements on cities on charters use of the right of way, which would have to be renewed, and you know we'd have this process we'd have to go through. Charter already has a franchise authorizing and regulating its use of the right of way. Any additional licensing requirements, such as this ordinance, are unnecessary and unlawful and appear to violate the Cable Act. In closing, when considering the negative financial impact on customers, we hope the city reconsiders its position and withdraws the proposed ordinance. Rather, we would welcome the opportunity to discuss ways to promote deployment and adoption of broadband service throughout the community. In the event, however, that the city intends to move forward as proposed, we believe the, or, the ordinance is unlawful as applied to Charter's customers and we'll submit our legal position to the city for review and consideration. And just as a final thought, I'm not a lawyer. Um, and I just wonder if you've considered under federal law the difference between the tax and the fee and how that um, is getting applied in this situation. You made it under six minutes. <laughs> so thank you. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still going to take the position that a phone is a phone is a phone, and the phone is not internet. You're you're using a cable. You're, if if I get a package and I get a phone in that package, now I've seen it. You see, you advertise it all the time. Thirty nine ninety nine for uh, cable. Thirty nine nine for cable uh, for internet and $39.99 for a phone. So if I choose to have the phone, then I would be taxed just like I if I chose to have that phone from Quest. I would still pay that tax. Now, on $39.99, 7% is like $2.10 a month. It would cost me in addition to have that phone. Because it's one of the things that, you know, we all look at these specials and we make these deals and then we get our bill, and there's all these little fees and taxes at the end of it that pile it up. I get that. Um, this would increase my bill. Right. By $2.10 per month, roughly speaking. Um, except that in this, I think my last package, you gave me the phone free. And when you gave it to me free, then I wouldn't be charged the tax. Right? So. You know, it, I, I just don't think the argument that you're making. Well, really it's not the phone right itself, though. It's the the service of the it's, phone. That's right. So I think that last statement. Well, but if I'm not paying accurate. for the service, I, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Right. Again, well, I'm not a lawyer either. So. Well, the bottom line really is that we already pay a five percent franchise fee. We haven't installed any new equipment or stuff that has interfered with the right-of-way in any way, shape, or form in order to provide additional services on the exact same infrastructure. That's really what we're talking well, about. Well, I, no, I think we're talking about two different things. Because again, use the example of Quest. They're paying a franchise fee as well. And they're also being taxed. So, you know, again, it's, it's treating you in the same way we would treat another telecommunication because, you know, they're also providing internet as well instead of just telephone but we're not after they're taxing their internet we're taxing their phones so i'm still not quite buying so you're saying that this ordinance does not tax broadband it only taxes the phone portion yes 
that's what really that's what my that's my understanding of it. We're not we're not for if I'm paying a hundred dollars to you for internet, phone, and cable. I hope I'm not paying seven dollars on this tax because I only am paying $39.99 for the phone portion of that. So well, I, I expect to pay that seven percent on the phone, but not on my internet and not on my cable. So that's I would see that as a difference. If it plays out differently, I would. Yeah, I think I the definition of telecommunications that has been written by the by the city attorney. Um, is unclear and that's why I'm here is that the, the lack of clarity for what we're talking about and just in general well I mean are we breaking new ground here I'm like city by city <laughs> like uh, Mr. Hensgard said you know other other municipalities are have been doing this and that uh, apparently it's he has been able to determine that there's Good legal footing for us to move forward on this. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be doing it. You know, cities do need to be conservative <coughs> when we try, you know, to collect. It. I'd like to ask the city attorney to come up and answer some of your questions. Then we'll let you come back up if you'd like. Okay. If you sure. don't mind. With respect to the uh, legality of this, uh, the Oregon Supreme Court decided. 2016 in a case called Eugene versus Comcast that this type of a uh, the fee structure, the tax structure adopted by the legislature and imposed in that case by Eugene was legal. Um, that case has been, uh, I think it's probably still probably under appeal, but, but uh, that's, that is the highest precedent we have at this point. Um, as far as what telecommunication services are, the definition I used is the definition that the city of Eugene has employed. So that's the definition the Oregon City Supreme Court has said is correct. And, and is it true at this point, Quest is paying both a franchise fee and the 7%? No, that, the 7% the that they pay is their franchise fee. Uh, and because of a quirk in federal law, um, cable providers have a whole section of their own statutes in federal law, and that allows local governments to impose a 5% franchise fee on cable services. It does not, and it prohibits us from having any other charge on cable services, which are defined by federal law. Now, um, uh, Charter's current uh, franchise agreement, which actually expired seven years ago, um, attack, uh, put, imposes a fee on only cable services. It's consistent with federal law. Federal law does not prohibit us, that is a municipality, from imposing taxes on telecommunication services because telecommunication services are different than cable services. And the federal law that, that they've been talking about the cable, cable Act applies only to the provision of cable services, not telecommunication services. Okay. I appreciate that clarification on the franchise fees. Anyone else? Yes, Mr. Henningsgard, is this fee, uh, does this apply to Verizon, AT&T, et cetera? And the second question is, is this fee um, or tax 
um, imposed by any of our other municipalities here in Clatsop County, or, or what are what examples in Oregon are there? Examples in Oregon, uh, there's a basic uh, format to this that actually came from Coos Bay, although I adopted some of the uh, language from Eugene. Um, Hood River, Portland, Salem, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if a city that doesn't, I think Wharton applies it too. I, I haven't actually checked. Wharton has done away with franchise agreements and only imposes taxes, which is also a, a different model, but they impose the same fees. And then the question about, uh, is this a fee that's imposed on AT&T, Verizon, those other um, telephone service providers? It would apply, this ordinance applies to every telephone provider that isn't, doesn't have a franchise for telecommunication services with us. At the current time, I believe everybody has a franchise, everybody else has franchise agreements because uh, Charter is a cable provider, we can't require them to have a franchise agreement for telecommunication services under federal law. So the only way we can impose a tax on a cable, uh, get the fee from a cable provider is through the imposition of a tax like this. It's authorized under state law. And, and Mr. Hanshaw, maybe if I can help clarify, Verizon and AT&T are cell providers that do not use the right-of-way for transmission. That's the nuance there. Well, I want to do the right thing here, and uh, and I think that staff knows and, and Mr. Henningsgaard uh, really understand this better than I do, but I'm also a charter subscriber, as are most people who Thanks have too. any kind of decent cable service around, and there's no competition, period. And so I little squeamish about uh, imposing a 7% tax on on probably the majority of Astorians. So could you speak to that a little bit? Why? Why do, why do we need to do this? Well, the, the why, I mean, you don't need to do this. I mean, you don't need to have franchise agreements with anybody. You don't need to have taxes on anybody, although the city would ponder a little bit if we didn't. Uh, the idea behind this is simply to equalize the playing field between uh, telecommunication providers that also provide cable, that we cannot impose a, a, a franchise fee on for their telecommunication services, and those who provide pure telecommunication services, in this case it's uh, Quest, um, and that they pay their 7%. Do we all have conflicts of interest if we're customers of Charter? It's an interesting question, but since uh, your action will apply equally to uh, everybody within the city, which all these lawyers segment, it's not technically a conflict of interest. Our, I mean, I, oh. I, have, I have Charter in my office, I have Charter at home. Are all the franchise fees equal? Yes, within East Industry they are, but uh, the statute and federal law sets out different amounts. For example, cable can only be 5%, whereas telecommunications can be 7%. Okay, then why aren't we adding 2%? Well, because the charge that we put on 
charter right now is only on their, on their uh, cable services. They pay nothing on their telecommunication services. Okay. So th this would apply only to the provision, the, the gross income or the income they get from telecommunication services. Would you read that definition of telecommunications again, please? Read the definition? Yes, please. I can do that. Well, then. <laughs> you just say it in English. Yeah, say it in English. <laughs> um, telephone services. Thank you. <laughs> telephone. Telephone. <services. laughs> How how did this how did this come about? I just feel like I'm missing a little bit of context. How so did this come about this on all, the agenda? This all came about in that uh, our city attorney and charter have been negotiating a franchise agreement for several years now, and it's time now for the franchise agreement to be brought forward to city council for consideration. Um, while there was negotiations with charter, uh, there was the discussion about uh, this topic and this topic that was brought to council once before and it was felt appropriate to have this dialogue once again if we're going to be considering a new franchise agreement. Well, the council could the, the council could choose to move forward with it or not. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, our finance director uh, came up and asked me the question, why aren't we imposing this tax when everybody else does? Uh, and I could only say, well, I tried six years ago. Okay, so so what's at stake here? Well, Susan, if you would please use the microphone. And the reason I brought it up is because of the equity with other telephone providers in town who are using our right-of-way with charter. And, and we knew there was precedent with the Eugene case. So I asked the question, why are we not charging for phone lines that Charter's providing in the city of Astoria? Okay. I, uh, may I make a motion? Yes. Can, I, I really need to say one more thing. If he's not gonna read the definition, I need to. Okay. Because something was said that was okay, incorrect. Okay, come on up then. And okay. Um, because it was said that this is just telecommunications and inferred that it's just voice. But the definition in the first sentence says, telecommunication service means any service provided for the purpose of voice, video, or data transmission. That's the internet. Including, but not limited to local exchange service, access service, extended area service, call origination, interconnection, switching, transport, call termination, and any other telecommunication service identified and authorized by the Federal Communications Commission, FCC, or the Public Utility Commission of Oregon. And then as used in this chapter, it goes on and it says it does not include cable service and, and some other things, but it clearly includes voice, video, and data transmission. That's the internet. I just wanted to clarify okay, that. Thank you. Well, data transmission is also, those things called faxes <laughs> right so that, that I suspect also, that reference sure. is kind of archaic I well, suspect data is data it is now <laughs> yeah okay uh, other comments please come on in 
Christopher R. Uh, 3023 Harrison Avenue, Astoria. In uh, our host household, we have split service. So we have uh, what I refer to as century link telephone, an old wall phone to pull off, you know. It's like out of a 40s movie. And then we have internet service provided by Chart, which is actually good, good internet service. I appreciate that. Either you tax everybody that's providing the same kind of service or you don't. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Communications tax ordinance. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. Could we have a first reading, please? An ordinance providing a telecommunications service tax. Services tax. <coughs> okay. Uh, the next item is a public hearing and first reading of the charter franchise ordinance. The uh, charter franchise uh, expired back in 2011, and since that time, the city is engaged in uh, negotiations on a new franchise. Um, the, these negotiations have been on again, off again, uh, until uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, Mr. Galloway was sitting in the back of the room initiated and I think in earnest we've been working uh, through the process of uh, negotiating a new franchise. Essentially what the franchise allows is Charter to use our um, rights of way uh, to transmit their signal. And so what we're doing is granting them permission to use our right of way, sort of like an easement or any other kind of permission that someone, someone has to use somebody else's property. Um, the city, uh, the, the difficulty that Charter and uh, the city have had in this negotiation is that some time ago, um, when actually, shortly after I uh, started in city attorney, we had five or six different, completely different models for our franchise agreements. And they included provisions dealing with work in the right-of-way, uh, tree trimming, how uh, complaints are handled, and in every instance when uh, one of the, a problem happened under the charter, city staff or in the franchise, city staff would have to pull it out and say, uh, "How do we deal with this?" It was particularly problematic in in uh, work on the street because each uh, franchise had its own provisions for notice and what the responsibilities were. And the city's response to that was. Uh, to us via what Charter did, and that isn't covered by Charter's insurance. Um, and and those, those types of provisions, I think, uh, are important uh, as far as uniformity goes. Um, the other, uh, other problem we've had, or we do have right now, 
is the Charter would like two very unique provisions that, that uh, have never appeared in uh, any of our other... I don't know that I've ever seen that situation where we do some kind of reimbursement provisions, cable provision, all that stuff is a, a fast-changing um, part of the economy. And as different providers come in and provide different services, different man means of, of providing those services, and, and perhaps would make concessions for the kind of programming we might want, um, that um, we might make concessions to those people, that charter then would then demand on, uh, on their behalf. And we have no ability to make demands on a charter for things like the quality of their, their signal uh, for the uh, cable uh, programming they have. So there is really no quid pro quo in that kind of uh, negotiation. What charter would like to do is pick and choose paragraphs from other agreements that they think is more favorable to them and then insert them into our agreement. And we can't then go back to charter and pick and choose services that we think are better for the citizens of Astoria and make them provide that because we don't have that lawful ability to do that. So uh, it's really what, what they're proposing, what they call it an equal protection amendment, isn't really, in my opinion, uh, fair to the city of Astoria or provide any benefit to the city of Astoria. So that I, I would not recommend including that type of provision, and I had not included that provision in the uh, draft a franchise that's in front of you today. Uh, as presented, uh, I think uh, this franchise agreement provides a decent compromise between some of the uh, demands the charters made and, and uh, what the city requires as far as uh, functioning for things like working right away and our, uh, uh, providing insurance protection for the city. Any questions? <laughs> okay. Presumably you want to come up and... <laughs> I will open the public hearing. Well, 10, I guess. Are you going to need 10 minutes, do you think? 10 minutes should be more than enough. Uh, well, good evening. Uh, uh, Mayor LaMere and distinguished city councilors. Uh, my name is Alan Galloway. Uh, I am a lawyer. Uh, I am a counsel at Davis Rex Remain in Portland. Uh, our address is 1300 Southwest Fifth Avenue, uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, if you'd like, I can get my personal address. I don't know if it's relevant here or That's not. That's all right. Okay. Um, I'm here on behalf of Charter Communications to talk about the franchise. And I do want to clarify that I'm not here to talk about uh, Charter's interpretation of the telecommunications ordinance that Robin just uh, spoke to. So, just here for the franchise. Um, I've been negotiating with uh, uh, City Attorney Hennensgaard, as he mentioned. Um, the negotiations have gone. This is an ordinance where we have serious concerns. So, I want to just give you a little bit of uh, understanding of what we're concerned about and. Uh, circulated through uh, City Attorney Henningsgard regarding our concerns. And I just want to, I'm not going to bore you to death by walking through the language or, or uh, reading it all, but I do kind of want to 
themes that, that from our perspective, uh, maybe will help you understand what we're, why we're concerned about these provisions and why we'd like to uh, put in these changes so we can bring this process, which has gone on for a long time, uh, to a close that is both something that the city can benefit from, the charter can live with, and that's compliant with federal law. So um, to me, that there's four changes that we've essentially proposed to the ordinance that's in your packet. Um, I think those fall under two groups, and I would call those fairness and, and clarity. And so um, let me start with the, the ones that I think address fairness. And, and that does include the equal protection provision that um, uh, City Attorney Hennensgaard was just discussing. We, Charter believes this is essential. And in fact, well, you have one cable provider right now. You have only one cable franchise. This is a very standard provision for cable franchise. It's not so what Charter is concerned about is that we sign a franchise um, you know, we have certain terms, we have to do certain things, we can, you know, and, and we're happy to do them. Uh, they dig up the street, they're going to put it back, just as good as it was before, uh, comply with the ordinances, um, you know, obviously pay the 5% franchise fee on cable service, but, but if NOANET, the access network, came in and, and you gave them a franchise that was 3%, that's going to be a problem for Charter because Charter can't then compete on a level playing field with someone else who's paying less. And this this happens sometimes with the telecommunications service room because there's different levels of taxes um, and, and it can get tricky and, and very uh, very lawyerly. But there can be discrepancies. Well, here this is this is the discrepancy where Charter is concerned that someone else could be providing cable service and being charged less or have of costs, those are really that Charter doesn't get the short end of the stick if someone else is coming in and make a situation where Charter can't compete because their cost structure is higher because of uh, that's in our language. All we've done essentially is we've also spelled out the dollar amounts that we're going to use, Charter is going to use to uh, meet those limits. And uh, I've done the math. Those dollar amounts will cover the uh, gradual year-to-year -year increases in the Oregon Tort Claims Act limits for the 10-year term of the franchise. So we're not talking about letting Charter not comply with the city requirement. Frankly, we're, we're letting Charter take this to its insurance carrier, have actual numbers in it, and have it be easier to make sure that they're always maintaining the coverage in dollar amounts that's required to meet those limits. And it facilitates both compliance by charter personnel and ease of underwriting for the insurer to have those be dollars and not just that the insurer has to say, well, what is the Oregon Tort Claims Act, you know, and, and look it up and, and, and ask their lawyer um, what it is this year. So uh, with the construction and restoration of the right-of-way provision, similarly, it just spells out um, in a little bit more detail, some of the procedures so that it facilitates compliance by charter and, and clarity. And so my hope is that if you take a look at what we're actually proposing and, and read through it, you'll see that uh, it's, it's pretty darn reasonable and that if you kind of combine these, the, the fairness uh, provisions with the clarity provisions, we can, we can finally 
uh, get to some finality on this. And I know that that's something that all parties want. I would just conformity, which um, City Attorney Henningsgaard raised earlier. Uniformity is fine, is a general principle, if it's not coming at the expense of fairness or clarity. And so, you know, we're not trying to ask, we're not trying to just make changes uh, for the sake of having changes. Um, we've negotiated several provisions that are in the current language that you have before you that we've agreed on. Uh, the language in 13.2 on uh, non-discrimination, that's, that's fine in the current draft. We've, we've negotiated that. Some of the other language in the current draft, the, the language on tree trimming, we've tweaked slightly, and that still serves the same purpose and it, it satisfied Charter's concern. So we have compromised in several areas, uh, many areas actually, and I think there was a lot of redlining and a lot of changes that we proposed and, and that, that uh, we've given up on. But these four items, these four items are items where I think the interest in uniformity needs to yield to the interest in fairness and the interest in uh, clarity so that actually it makes it easier for Charter to make sure that we're complying with the rules. So that's what I have to say. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and explain this to you and I'm happy to answer any questions you have about the franchise or our position. I don't have any questions right now where we have an opportunity to ask questions later. I'll be right over here after. Um, yeah, it, but it seems to me, I mean, maybe uniformity is not the right word, but I think that what we're trying to do is make it the same for all of the utilities that are that we're charging. It, it, it just makes sense to me that that the franchise fee would be the same, and that the consistent that it would be um, both fair and consistent. Well, I just want to make them the same. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just want to make sure that you understand that the franchise fee, that the five percent here, and we're just talking about the cable franchise. Mm -hmm. That five percent is the most that the city could charge under federal law, and we're not trying to negotiate that down. Um, we're happy to pay the 5%, and the, the language that we've been really talking about is this more procedural language, where it's just how we set forth the obligations, for instance, to maintain certain levels of insurance, or regarding what happens when you dig up some, you know, you dig up the street because you have to access the cable, and then you put it back, how much detail we have in the process for that. So it doesn't go to Charter trying to get Charter's not trying to get a lower rate than anyone else. Um, the equal protection language is just to make sure that someone else doesn't come in and get a lower rate. And frankly, we see, I've seen this in other Oregon uh, cities where a provider that everyone's like Google comes in and does get a better rate um, and essentially gets a very sweet deal and pays nothing uh, and then it turns out not to deliver the services. But that's, that's a different story. But um, you did, we don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. It's a long time. And so the equal protection is protection. It's not meant to be favoritism towards charter. It's meant to be quite the opposite. Okay. Well, okay. You're you're up there. And just before before Blair stands up. Okay. Yep. Just maybe a couple of things. So 
um, just looking at what you're talking about with fairness. So um, my concern is that what you're actually doing is sort of tying our hands. I mean, if it were apples and apples and somebody coming in here with a new cable system, I could see where you would be concerned about it being fair. But, um, you know, things are changing all the time and how we use data, how data comes in, how it get like the new company that wants to bring a line in. Maybe they just want to serve a particular set of business interests. They're not kind of covering the whole space. And, and they're, they're not going to have the same exact services of you. And maybe we, it will be beneficial to everybody to have that um, fiber optic cable in here uh, in town and have some access to it. And, and maybe it would be to the city's benefit, and I don't have any idea how this would play out, that we would give them some sort of incentive to do so. Um, and taking it a step further, what if the city wanted to create its own internet service? Are we suddenly providing ourselves with benefits that we have to give back to you under a clause like this? I mean, it seems that it, it's one of those things that it looks good on the surface, but it could get pretty muddy. Thank you for your question. I appreciate, I think I understand at least partly where the concerns are coming from. And um, I think they're, well, I think the first response is to look at the language in this proposed section 27. And, and what you'd see is um, that even from the very first sentence, where we're acknowledging that you have the right to grant more franchises to provide cable service. And that's the, that's the sort of cable setting here. It's, it's if you are granting another cable franchise, another franchise where someone's providing cable service. So, if they're just providing some new, completely new technology, um, that's that then is not necessarily going to be implicated here because, like 27.2, in the event an application for a new cable television franchise is is filed. Um, so, you know, if it's something that we don't, something really exciting and great that none of us here know about, or even something that we know about but it's not cable service, um, then this doesn't get get implicated. And so, if the city wanted to do its own. Uh, satellite-based internet data system, well, that's probably not going to even implicate this language at all. But yeah. what would is a competitor that comes in and provides cable? So you're only concerned about somebody bringing cable TV in, not internet or telephone service? The, the, the language here is... I mean, is, that, that's what you're implying by yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, Multi-channel video programming distribution. So there's there's some language here um, that there's under the Cable Act. There's a very technical distinction I mean, so between the cable service and TV. But yes, it's so a cable TV get, service. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I get internet. I get a Ruco. I've got TV service. I mean, so again, we're, we we get into this. well, that's 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 different. I mean, cable service is defined under federal law, and it is your basic cable television service, and it's not the same as YouTube or Netflix. So that that would be different. So this doesn't apply to, I mean, you don't even have a franchise with Netflix, they don't use the rights of way, but if you did, this wouldn't apply to it. So yeah, it doesn't apply to all video, it applies to cable service, cable TV service, as that's understood in federal law, and it's actually defined in the franchise agreement, and I can tell you, because we, we've worked on it, the franchise agreement says cable service means the same thing as it does under federal law, under the cable act. So it is cable TV service. Okay. So then, um, Construction and restoration. 
uh, having our code 2.70 to 2.755 attached to your franchise agreement, doesn't that give you access to what our requirements are without you building if, it into the franchise if, agreement? Well, actually, um, nothing in this provision says we're not going to follow your, your local laws. In fact, the, um, one of the provisions here in 9.91 uh, says we act in, order, in accordance with applicable federal, state, and local laws. The, the real uh, the real impetus for this change is to kind of just have a little bit more detail spelled out on how that process works and, for instance, how the process works where if, we've, if Charter has failed to complete the restoration, there's a, a notice period um, where we can get notice from the city and fix it. So these are just operational issues. These are not like the, the um, this isn't a, like a waiver of the city code. This is some operational details that we'd like to have spelled out so that when charter personnel are working on the cable system, they have a little bit more definition as far as the process. And this is language that, um, frankly, we had at one point discussed, and it, it, we, from charter's perspective, we certainly thought the city had, uh, was ready, the city attorney was ready to support this language before the council. Um, I know that that changed, but this isn't just unreasonable, uh, Demands, in our view, this is pretty limited. So it's, okay. Because I think on that one and the insurance, I'm kind of wondering how big of a deal it is either way, whether it's there or not. I mean, they, look, the insurance language. Um, because you, you just said about the insurance that you're, you, you just put numbers down yeah. that would connect to what, what would happen over 10 years anyway. Yep. So, why bother? Because, I mean, insurance companies certainly know all these things. They have a, a, that information. That's what they deal in. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just put this. So Charter has a very, um, you know, for their insurance, they really want to have the numbers in there. And so what we've tried to do is have what you require plus. We're not really trying to take away or get out of any obligation. Same thing with equal protection. I know I've heard that, you know, you've never had this in the, the other franchise. And I mentioned that that's partly because it's specific to cable service. But I can tell you that Charter has never signed a cable franchise, to my knowledge. It's my understanding is that Charter has never had a cable franchise without some sort of equal protection language in it. Um, it's that standard. And so, uh, you know, the, the company feels really uncomfortable not having that language. Okay. Uh, yeah. And apparently you haven't been on this for that long. You said you've come into this and it's been going on for a while. I'm just kind of curious why it's taken, from your, your point of view, seven years uh, to get to this point because that, that's really troublesome. Um, I, I've been involved in this for about two years now. I, mean, I think it's probably, probably closer to 18 months. So. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think as City Attorney Hindenskard mentioned, it was a sort of fits and starts on again, off again. Um, I know that Charter has been trying to bring this process to completion and, and we certainly want to do so here. And we're not, uh, I'm not here because we want to throw a wrench in it. I'm here because I want to actually show a path to getting, getting this done in a way that I think, if you look closely at it, will turn out to be mutually acceptable. So, I, the 2011 or whenever the negotiation started, um, I can tell you that since I've been involved, what I've seen from Charter is a desire to get this done. I know that you know everyone 
city attorney Hensgard is busy. Sometimes it takes a while to digest language. I know that we have, on our side, sometimes it takes a while to get approvals for everything that we changed and everything that we kind of give in. It takes going up, up the chain. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure some of that was on our end. And if we can figure out a way to do it faster, we, we will next time, and I guess in 10 years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we won't take 10 years to get there to get this franchise done. Uh, I think it's probably gone on long enough. Because I won't be here in 10 years either, so. <laughs> well, well all right, thank you. Okay, well. Okay, uh, I'm, still, I'm still puzzled as to why the other, uh, other utilities all agreed to this, these, friend, the, these, these rules, and you're the one that won't. Well, um, I think that's a, I, this is a good question. I'm not quite sure what the answer is there, because I, I wasn't in the room when those other companies negotiated these things with the city. Um, you know, maybe they were in a big hurry to, to deploy whatever it was they were, if they were coming in new, um, maybe they just had uh, a different level of detail that they looked at the language with. Um, I, I just, I wish I knew. I wish I knew because I'd like to go back and say, oh, didn't, didn't this bother you? Um, but some of this is the cable franchise, okay? So the equal protection language, I think it's because this is a cable franchise. So that I do understand. Um, the, the insurance, why other companies didn't want those uh, sort of statutory requirements translated into dollar amounts. I mean, maybe they just, for, for their own reasons, didn't worry about it. I know my clients are quite worried about it, and, and, and that worry is real, and they really need the, uh, Charter really needs to have the, the dollar amounts in there. Um, I can't speak to what other people, other utilities did or didn't require. So, I mean, I can certainly understand why the language that you're hoping to get in the agreement would be in your interest. I mean, it's protecting your investment and giving you, con your company has more confidence in the long-term infrastructure investments and, and whatnot. Um, and your company has a dominant position nationally in this particular industry and certainly want to protect that national dominance. I don't know if it's in Astoria's interest to help you with that necessarily. I think our interest is in protecting the city's position. I mean, it really seems like it's kind of a case of, Astoria is the kind of town that is sympathetic to a mom-and-pop business protect, asking for protection against Walmart. You're kind of Walmart asking for protection against the mom-and-pop business, so I'm not real inclined to, I'm sympathetic to your views and you're doing the right thing for your client by, by making this position, but I'm more inclined to support Mr. Henningsgaard's positions. Well, um, I guess, you know, I, w I would say this. There, there is a huge investment that Charter has made and continues to make in maintaining the cable system, having the trucks, having customer service, having people you know, be able to come out if something does break, fix it, paying for all the programming packages that are available, you know, whether it's the Pac-12 network or whether it's just uh, HBO and entertainment or you know, things that are on the basic tier. Whatever whatever it is, there's a lot of money that, that is involved. And it's, it's concerning when the possibility that some new uh, entrant will come in, and Charter is not scared of fair competition, but what Charter is worried about is, is non-level competition. I don't want to buy into the, <laughs> the Walmart metaphor, but I would say it's not Walmart versus the mom and pop. It's, you've got you know, two, two, two stores competing, and they, maybe they're selling the same thing, 
but one doesn't have to pay sales tax or only has to pay half as much or they don't have to comply with um, other aspects of the zoning ordinance or they don't have to sweep the sidewalk in front of their store or something and the other the other store has to sweep the sidewalk and pay the sales tax and comply with the zoning and you know and, and they you know one has to have this normal size sign and one gets to put up a giant billboard on top of their thing so I, you know one of those stores might be owned by a larger entity and one might be smaller but I think that doesn't directly go to whether those rules are fair and whether that competition would be fair whoever whoever owns it and however there are any cable systems or stores they operate anything else that I can uh, information that I can provide to the council All right, well thank you again for the opportunity to be here and to present uh, charters views on this matter Thank you. Thank you. Can you, yeah. Yes, a couple things. Uh, with respect to the insurance, um, I won't explain in detail what Charter's idea is, but they have some lower limits for their liability and then covering it with an umbrella policy. But the problem, and, it, and Mr. Galloway is correct in that if the Oregon legislature doesn't change the law and this franchise agreement only lasts 10 years, that their proposal would cover it. The trouble is, is that the tort claim limits are set by the legislature at the legislature's whim. The idea being that they're going to protect local governments to a certain extent. Those, uh, those limits have been challenged in court a couple of times and have been defeated. Uh, the legislature could increase them and could do away with them. And so by putting absolute dollar limits in our agreement, we can't change it if the legislature changes it. And so what we've done in all of our agreements, and nobody else has had a problem with this, is just say what the limits of the Oregon Tort Claim Act are. That's what you have to provide as far as insurance protection. That's all of our contractors, everybody, every, Everybody who leases property from us, all, all, it's just a standard provision. Nobody else has had a problem with it. Uh, and so um, the, the other difficulty is, is that, as uh, has been pointed out, um, Charter's other franchise expired seven years ago. And there's nothing, there's nothing saying that uh, they're going to, uh, the fifth agreement will only last uh, 10 years. It may last 20 years or 25 years if we never reach another agreement. So it's, it's impossible to say that, that what Charter has suggested provides the kind of protection that the city needs as far as insurance goes. Uh, with respect to the work in the right of way, work in the right of way is. Um, under is it's an item of regulation that's totally under the city's control. We tell other people what they have to do in our right of way. Um, other people don't tell us and say, okay, we're going to work on a right of way, and this is the way we're going to do it. Um, if, for example, we adopt a charter's proposal of having some additional provisions in. In the right for work in the right of way, every time Charter wants to work in the right of way, Public Works is going to have to take a, take a look and say, okay, what does this charter, what does this franchise agreement say? We have the right 
to change our ordinance with respect to the right-of-way. Whenever, if we see other rules or we have procedures that we want to change, uh, we can do that because it's part of our ordinance, it's part of our, the city powers. If we make an agreement and put it in the, in the franchise agreement, we can't change it. So public works, if they want to change the procedures for working the right-of-way, they're hamstrung. So what the suggestion is here and in all of our other franchise agreements, it says you've got to comply with what the rules are in the city of Astoria for working the right-of-way, period, and have nothing else in the agreement because it would hamstring public works and their ability to manage the right-of-way if we adopted provisions that are inconsistent with this Astoria ordinance or changes if they would like to. And I think that's the only two points I wanted to make. Um, I have a question. Um, so, so Charter's um, attorney who's here tonight um, said that if we um, uh, have first reading of this ordinance as proposed, um, Charter is not um, willing at this time to accept it. So um, how, how would that action uh, be beneficial tonight? To Charter? To, to the city. Uh, well, we have a, a franchise agreement that's in place until we negotiate another one. Okay. And uh, if Charter doesn't want a new franchise agreement, they, I guess they will be stuck with the old one. Okay, thank you. Well, with the possible exception of having to deal with the whims of the Oregon legislature, these seems like, seem like fairly minor points of negotiation really and if they're where, where they're not minor they're certainly usual for the city of Astoria and I don't see any reason to go uh, beyond them and create some new sort of rule for one particular company even though it's a beloved company let me tell you uh, by me anyway um, uh, and admittedly I received almost all of this information on Saturday and have not been able to do my uh, usual bit of research. So I might have some more questions on the second reading, but this is just the first reading of the ordinance. And so if there are no further questions, I'd like to move that we, oh, we have to close the I would like to respond to one. Sorry, I was going too fast. Okay, Mr. Galloway. I, I just wanted to point out that uh, two things. One, on the insurance, I want to clarify. We did build in the dollar amounts for, for clarity, but there's a safety valve in there so that if the Oregon legislature did, in their whatever reason, raise the limits, charter would be required to abide by the, the, the higher limits. So at that point, um, you know, then we will have to just deal with that. But the language in the uh, insurance provision clearly states that it begins, in fact we incorporated this language from the city standard language, that charter shall maintain throughout the term of the franchise insurance written on an occurrence basis in amounts not less than the limitations on liability for local public bodies provided in ORS 3272 and ORS 3273. And then it goes on as follows and it puts the, the dollar amounts. But if those statutes change, we're obligated to increase the limit. So there is no possibility that the city would not be covered for the amounts that it could be liable under the Oregon Tort Claims Act. Um, it's, in my view, unlikely that the Oregon legislature is going to make those li limits 
skyrocket up, but if it did happen, that is covered here. Um, and similarly with the reconstruction language, or the construction and relocation language, there is a, a reference about work being done in accordance with applicable federal, state, and local laws, codes, ordinances, rules, and regulations, unless otherwise directed by the city and is determined by the director. I believe that's the director of public works. So we're not trying to get out of things if there's a new ordinance that is important for the health and welfare of the city and the city's doing that legislation and exercise of its police powers, that's going to apply. There's, there's no way around that. So I just want to make sure that we're trying to have a good discussion where we understand what's in and not in these proposed changes. I think that, again, I, uh, we could debate how to characterize them, but I, I think they're modest. I uh, would hope that you would give them serious consideration. Mr. Galloway, may I ask you just one question? Is this the sticking point for you, this insurance thing? If, 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 the, if the city uh, took out everything, I mean, kept everything but this insurance <coughs> requirement, is that an agreement that Charter would sign? Um, no, uh, they're all sticking points right now. I, I don't have any authority to say that, you know, if we got rid of one out of the four, or two out of the four, or three out of the four, that we could sign that. I would say that um, I, I think if there were we could have the discussion about the provisions and if there's some way that those specific provisions we propose are inadequate in terms of the, the details we could probably tweak those um, and there might be a way I mean I, I, I thought about on the way over here well what if we just kept the standard insurance language and then we just added ours I don't know whether that would be acceptable to charter or not but if you want to have the exact same provision plus our one that spells out the dollar amount that's essentially what our language does anyway so that might be something that I could, you know, go back and take up the charter and say, could we do this? So I don't mean, I don't mean that we're totally inflexible, but I can't tell you that Thank you. except for one, yeah. Okay, I will, thank you. Is, it, is there anyone else who wants, I wonder who? Wants to comment? Okay, Mr. Ra Rasko. Uh, I'm Sam Rasko, 686 Harrison Avenue. I'm not going to claim I understand what the heck we've been talking about, but I have one question. If we don't currently have a franchise agreement with Charter, is there another company that would possibly be a franchisee? Other than charter, is there nobody else that provides cable to our community? No. Nobody else that could provide cable to our community. Well, uh, black, uh, city attorney. Like Comcast. Anybody could provide it. Charter owns the infrastructure. Maybe they would either have to purchase the infrastructure or construct a whole new set of infrastructure. Um, and but they do have a franchise agreement. The previous one's been extended. So it automatically extends? Pardon me? So it automatically extends if it's not renewed? The city council took action to extend the previous one. So we're stuck in a marriage we don't want? <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Just question. Okay, anyone else? Okay, I will close the public hearing then. What's the council's? Well, I'd like to move that we hold a 
first reading of the ordinance as proposed. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, could we have a first reading, please? An ordinance granting Falcon Community Ventures One limited partnership locally owned and referred to herein as Charter Communications, a non-exclusive franchise to provide cable service to the city of Astoria, the inhabitants thereof, and others subject to the terms and conditions specified in the ordinance and providing for the repeal of the existing franchise agreement dated February 1st, 2001. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for coming. Thank you for presenting. Uh, we'll go to uh, item E, which is a liquor license application from Cheryl Cameron. A liquor license application has been filed by Cheryl Cameron for Street 14 LLC, doing business as the Fog Liquor Cafe. Uh, the site for this liquor license. Uh, which is a new outlet for full on-premise commercial sales is at 382, 382 12th Street. It's been reviewed by city departments. No objections were noted. It's recommended that council consider the application. Uh, Mayor, I would declare a potential conflict of interest as my husband has uh, an alcohol business um, Cervasia Gratis doing business as Fort George Brewery, although uh, the applicant is, is not a client, um, and so uh, it's not a direct conflict, and I will vote on it. I'd like to make a motion to approve the license application for Street 14 LLC doing business as Foglifter Cafe. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Item 7F is another liquor license. Uh, this is uh, from Toro Sushi Lounge. Uh, this is a liquor license application filed by Toro Sushi. Um, they're requesting additional privileges for off-premise sales. Departments have reviewed the application and no objections were noted. It's recommended that City Council consider the application. Uh, Mayor, I have a direct conflict of interest on this one as my husband's business uh, that I just mentioned, Cervasia Gratis, doing business as Fort George Brewery, um, uh, does currently do business with this um, applicant, so I will not vote on this. Okay. We have a motion. I move we approve the license recommendation for Tour Sushi Lounge Astoria. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay. Um, this closes our regular agenda. Is there any other business that anyone would like to bring before the council? May I just um, ask uh, the city manager, uh, hopefully a quick question. I see that uh, Mr. Toman is in the audience. He's been here all night. He, he's the one who requested a month or so ago um, permission to like the column um, in recognition of Pride Week. And uh, we had a conversation then about the friends would uh, take a look at the agreement. Just where are we in that? The friends had a meeting actually scheduled for this afternoon, but due to family illnesses, it was canceled. Given that it is May 7th and that 
the proposal that the friends come up with would then need to come back to city council for approval if council wishes for something to take place in June you might want to give further direction on that I, ju I just wanted to be able to let mr. Uh, Tolman know you know is might it happen or not it looks probably not this year unless the council has uh, wants to push it how much does it cost to uh, to do the lighting did you say or to change the lighting presently it's, it's there's no presently we don't charge a fee for no, it but i think there was somewhere where, where yeah. I read that it you estimated it would be it's so, currently a so so what was proposed is in the in when this was brought to the city council is um that if the council changed the procedures in the future a recommended fee was 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 placed out there to, to do it in the future the, the issue at hand is the council's policy has been to allow a certain number per fiscal what we interpreted as fiscal year we've come to that point um, the council voted to uh, ask the friends of the column to you know at their request to develop some policies and bring it back uh, to the city council where we're coming at is how's the city council you know I mean it's, I mean it's been a partnership between the friends of the column and the city council um, but uh, you know in the end it's been a city council policy in terms of how this is implemented <clears throat> Is there any way, so there's another council meeting between now and then, is there, <coughs> is there any reason we would want to or a way we could address the specific issue because the friends have not been able to, uh, you know, come up with a determination in time for this one particular request? And um, is that reasonable? Is there time to, I mean, if it came back to the next meeting, if council voted at the next meeting? I'd be happy to reach out to the friends and see if they were okay with that and then prepare a proposal to come back to council in a few weeks. At the next meeting? Yeah. At the next meeting. So are, are, the, are the lights of the requested color already in the city's hands? You own lights of that color? No, so the way it works is there's actually frames that are built that okay. go over and it's gotcha. a gel film that would need to be purchased and okay. the colors would have to be thoughtfully coordinated. But um, in most of the groups that we've worked with in the past, we ask them to provide the gel for us. So, so it's the exact color okay. they want. So it's just putting a, basically a lens over existing lighting, is that correct? Or correct. It's, it's not involved climbing up the column and hanging anything? Correct. It's so one of the simpler tasks. Okay. These are spotlights. Spots, right, or floods. No, these are, we already have lights at the column. These are just lenses that go over the existing yeah, yeah. lights. So I would appreciate if we could, uh, if, if, you, if we could ask the friends, get their uh, input, and then council can make its decision at the next meeting, if, um, which would be in time for Pride Week, which is June 6th. June I had a request in June the week of June 3rd through the 10th. The festivities are 8, 9, and 10, but there's a whole week of events. Right. Okay, and if the, if the uh, friends don't come back with a proposal by then, can we make our own decision? You can. You're the city council. <laughs> okay. They're not the boss of us. That's right. <laughs> 
hold 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 on a second. If it weren't for the friends of the column, the column would be condemned right now. I mean, they were taken the staircase out, put a new staircase in, did a million dollar restoration, take care of all of the maintenance of the column, are saving up for the next historic renovation, and they're willing to take on the lighting of the column. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know, I, I personally don't think the column should be lit any unique colors besides just lights. Um, you know, and we've had this policy put in place, you know, since before I was on the city council that two organizations would get special lights um, every year, you know, and uh, it's nothing against, nothing against pride or anyone requesting uh, lighting, but that's just the policy that's been in place, and now the friends that take care of the column um, are looking at that policy, you know, but it just... I don't know. I, I'd really not like to see the column with special lights, but um, that's my personal opinion, and we'll wait to hear what the friends say. I, I actually do agree with you, Councillor Nimmerwill. I've been saying that for years. I, I think it's a it's a it's a beautiful it's a work of art. It's our best monument, and it should just be lit naturally, not naturally, but with white lights or just lights and. And, it, and, and getting into this whole business of what shall we light it for, I, if, if we're going to light it, I think we should light it up for everything. And yeah. we can't just you know, pick two uh, uh, and let them go for years and years. That just doesn't seem right at all to me. Um, and while I agree that the friends have, have um, perhaps saved the column, it is still the city park. And uh, I don't want to just throw over all decision making to them. I certainly want to honor uh, what they do by uh, by hearing their opinion. I'm I'm with you. Yeah, and you. you know, if you go up to the column and look at the these structures up there that are lighting the column, you know, they don't look good. I mean, there's this landscaping. I mean, in the nighttime maybe it looks cool from down here, but you go up there in the daytime. And there's these weird wooden structures over these expensive like lights that were designed by some lighting expert that flew in from LA and we've just got these weird like wooden frames with colored gels over them. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so so just so we're Ms. Cosby, just so we're clear, what you're going to be doing is going back to the friends of the column to ask whether or not they have any objections to this one situation because you do not expect them to come back with a proposed policy in time for the next meeting, correct? Correct. And so, and so my, my point to the, the city council was the, the limitation to the number of times it's illuminated uh, with colors is a city council policy. And so if there was any changes to the existing city council policy, it would need to be made by the city council. What the council has requested for future uh, lighting of the column is for the friends to come back with a proposal, but it, uh, for future eliminations. But it does not appear from what I'm hearing from the parks director that that they will be able to do that in two weeks. Is it possible to kind of cut the middleman out of there a little bit and, and make the question to the friends? Uh, do you? 
prefer the uh, column to be lit in colors for specific times or not. I know that they, uh, maybe it was last year, There's at some point there's some memo that said that they thought it was okay, but I don't know that they've ever known that there's some interest in the council on not doing it. Well, some of the council. Uh, that's what I said. Okay. There's interest on the council. The one thing is, is what I've seen is once once you allow something to happen in the city, it is very difficult to change it, if not near impossible. And so, if you say, "I'm just going to do something," you know, "I'm just going to allow it this one time," you know, good. I mean, you may as well just say that that's how it's going to be forever, because you can't change it or take it away after that. It would be interesting to, if there were a way to find out how the members of the community feel about it, white lights versus colored lights that change with uh, recognition weeks. I, I have no idea what the most, most of the community thinks, honestly. Maybe uh, maybe the Daily Story and KMUN and KST can find out for us. I don't know. Well, when we're representing minority groups, the tyranny of the majority shouldn't matter. I don't think democracy is necessarily the same as tyranny, but... We could have a discussion over beer. That's a different conversation. <laughs> well, and there are many ways of recognizing uh, all sorts of people and groups. Anyway, okay, I do. So I do know that that I've had people ask me, okay, why is it teal? And it's an opportunity to talk to people about why and what the significance of that color is, or why is it pink? And again, it's an opportunity to educate people that don't know why. It's, it's pink for that particular month. So I think there is value in it. So, so Mayor, just so I'm clear and the council's clear, you're looking at adding an agenda item at the next meeting for discussion about illuminating the column uh, for Pride, uh, Pride Week. Pride. It will be on the next agenda and our Parks Director will coordinate with the Friends of the Column staff specifically on that issue. Yes, thank you. Okay, any other comments? Questions, discussion, complaints? <laughs> okay, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.